everyone. I'm Maike Slot, and you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode 9, the episode that concludes the first part of my research project on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. I look back at my research so far, will share the main outcomes of my interviews with journalists with you, and give an outlook on the second part of my research, the audience perspective. I visit the editorial department of a national newspaper in the Netherlands, based in Amsterdam. I'm going to conduct one of my first interviews. I'm curious about what's going to happen. At the reception, the receptionist asks me to wait while he calls upstairs to the journalist I have an appointment with. I take a seat and while waiting, I look at the screen that's on the wall of the reception area. It displays in real time the articles of an online newspaper that are being clicked on. Small thumbnails of most popular web pages create a colorful display, visualizing the choices of the invisible audience. It's almost like a piece of art that's alive. One thumbnail catches my eye. This one is white and black and is displayed a bit bigger than the rest. It seems to be one of the most popular parts of the newspaper's website. The receptionist sees me looking at it and says, Yeah, it's always the Sudoku. About nine months ago, I received word from the Journalism Fund that they were going to support my research proposal on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Great news! This message kick-started my research adventure that brought me in almost all Dutch provinces and at the heart of the regional and national news production in the Netherlands. Not only did I have the chance to speak to many enthusiastic and ambitious journalists, I also got a sneak peek in their editorial departments and got to see their professional practices, their victories and their struggles. So far, I can say that it's been a very rewarding experience. The topic I address in my research seems very much alive, and now it's time to round up and come to some conclusions about the journalist's perspective before I can move on to the other side of the coin the audience. Let's start at the beginning. Over the past months, I've been regularly updating you on my progress in this podcast. I discussed theory, other research in this area, my personal struggles to define the journalist-audience relationship, and my first observations based on the interviews. If you've been following my podcast for a while, you probably remember that we started with the statement that the click is dead. When you want to say something about the impact of journalistic work, you need to take into account much more than just the click, this single quantitative measure of news consumption. In my research project, the click stands for the relationship between journalists and audience members. I define this relationship in my third podcast as follows. The way in which journalists and audiences regard and behave towards each other mediated by technologies in the context of all stages of news production. My goal in this project is to find out which role online technologies play in this relationship and if there are ways in which the relationship can be improved. 
Of course, you understand that I can't answer the whole question yet, but I can give you some insights in the practices and perceptions of the journalists that I spoke to. The first result, which is not really surprising, is that online technologies are indispensable to journalists. They use them to stay up to date, create content, text, pictures, video, audio, keep in touch with their audiences, and communicate with their colleagues. Especially in regional journalism, the traditional boundary between written journalism and broadcasting on radio and television is not as rigid as it was in the past. Many journalists also make and edit their own video, take pictures and publish their work online. Social media work is also added to their portfolio. Journalists tweet, organize live Q&As on Facebook and post their work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It seems that most news organizations in the Netherlands are aware that the internet and social media are important channels that need to be used on their own terms. Whereas in the past, online editors were practically hidden in a closet, they now function as an important part of the news organizations and I think they are integrated better with the other teams. Still, they are usually a separate team within the editorial department. But this might change in the future. Many news organizations apply a digital-first strategy. Most news stories will break online and on social media first, but some are still kept for the paper issue or the news broadcast. In accordance with many information workers, a journalist's workday never ends at five. As I concluded in episode three, the deadline for journalists is always now. Even when on holidays or at home, many of them keep an eye on new developments ready to inform their colleagues or respond to that message on social media. The workload that they experience is considerable, and I think that news organizations should be more aware of that. They need to be the first to publish before the competition to cover so many topics to cater to many different platforms. Being a journalist is demanding and requires a very specific mindset. When asked, they indicate that technology makes their life both easier and harder. Using online technology is convenient, fast and easy, but also confronts them with, for example, negative responses to their work and increases the work pressure they experience. Still, I can conclude that most journalists I spoke to are positive about the role of technologies in their daily practices. Engaging the audience and establishing a relationship with them is an important topic in all news organizations I visited. All journalists are very well aware of the fact that it is crucial to attract and keep the audience. There are so many alternative information sources available, let alone entertainment and other distractions, that this is not an easy task. As explained in episode 5, the challenge for news organizations is complicated because they do not only have naturally engaging topics. Their public task also demands that they bring stories that might be more complicated or more serious such as political discussions about new government budgets or water management. Thus, on the one hand, they have the task to inform the audience, but to get the attention of the audience, they also need to engage them. The one does not work well without the other. I call this the audience dilemma in journalism. Knowing who the audience is and how they engage with news could be one way to deal with this dilemma. I asked all journalists I spoke to what image they have of their audience. In episode 4 of the podcast, I already concluded 
that this image is usually limited to two characteristics, age and geographical location. In general, journalists know in which region or city their audience lives and that the average age of their real audience is around 55. Most news organizations do have a lot of data about their audience, though. The ways in which they make use of audience analysis differs per news organization, but it's not a given that this information is being shared among journalists. But speaking to them in more detail, it shows that journalists do construct their own image of the audience based on different inputs. They, for example, know very well that each channel they use attracts a different audience and they take that into account in their choice of topic and tone of voice. Overall, I must conclude, though, that the image journalists have of the biggest part of their audiences is still quite general. But when they interact with audience members directly, the image starts to become more detailed. Direct feedback provided by the audience in the form of comments on social media or emails that are directed at the journalist provide a picture of the people that journalists cater to. Nonetheless, also this picture is limited. Many journalists perceive audience comments to be primarily negative. They complain about the topics that are discussed or have comments about the writing style or spelling of journalists. Although the journalists I speak to are generally open and appreciative toward audience feedback, sometimes they do find these critiques discouraging. Not all of them are very constructive, to put it in a nice way. Many news organizations have disabled the comment sections on their websites, and journalists often feel reluctant to engage in discussion with readers, viewers, or listeners on social media. I think there's still quite some room for improvement there. When I ask journalists at which time they initiate direct interaction with their audience members, the replies indicate that most of them do ask the audience for input, but most of the time, this is done in an ad hoc way. Mostly, journalists will post a small request for, for example, a picture of a special event on social media. Few news organizations really invite audience members to take a more active role in the news production process. Often, journalists indicate that they want to engage the audience in a more direct way more often, but that they do not always have the time to do this properly. Tips of readers, watchers, or listeners do not often lead to new stories, but sometimes they are useful to illustrate what's already out there. Most news organizations do experiment with new initiatives to relate to their audiences in innovative ways. They answer questions of audiences on social media, engage in question-based journalism, give guided tours to show their editorial departments, meet their readers at events, or even invite them for dinner. All journalists that do this are appreciative of these types of interaction because they give a different view on the audience. In contrast to the image of the complaining audience member, they get to meet people who feel connected to the news organization. They're fans. But again, these activities are not integrated in their daily practices. When studying the relationship between journalists and news users in detail, the difference between national and regional media is interesting to mention. Many regional journalists indicate that they have a very direct link with part of their audience. They meet them at the supermarket, for example or they receive phone calls, or people even drop by. Journalists working for national news media do have direct contact with some audience members, but they don't experience the relationship as that close. They do receive emails and sometimes phone calls, but their readers, watchers, and listeners do not know where they live and are thus less close. 
One regional journalist shared that he actually moved out of the region that he was covering because he was too well-known and people kept calling him on his mobile phone or spoke to him while he was doing grocery shopping. In episode 6, I showed that one of the important conclusions of academic research about engagement is that you need to know your audience. Understanding the motivations of your audience members is important because motivations can influence the level of engagement your audience experiences. Interestingly, this is data that news organizations do not gather of their audience because it's not easily measured. This links to the message from episode 7 and 8 of my podcast, in which I discussed what numbers can and cannot teach us. The most important conclusion here was that news organizations never have a lack of data. And data can be great. By collecting and analyzing data, we can learn a lot from our audiences, our work, and our successes and failures. All news organizations I visit use metrics. The analysis shows that the differences between news organizations are very visible. Some are already quite advanced in this area and employ several data analysts. Others do collect the data, but only use the data in a limited way. This is mainly dependent on the size of the newsroom and the budget that the organization can allocate for these activities. The interviews show an interesting difference between more traditional journalists and online editors or social media journalists. The latter indicate that they would like to use the data in more ways than they do now. They are very enthusiastic about the possibilities data analysis offers. They indicate that there already has been a culture change in newsrooms. Journalists are already more used to the use of online media, and they are in general quite positive about the possibilities metrics offer. But still, there are reservations. Journalists that have a more traditional background are cautious to not become followers of the audience's taste. Although knowing the audience is perceived to be a good thing, their independence is even more important. For some journalists, it's frustrating that their stories are sometimes read less than they hoped for, especially if they have put in a lot of effort. These stories tend to disappear quickly from the website, while other stories, for example about celebrities or new shops that have opened in the region, are more popular and occupy more prominent spots longer. In many news organizations, screens are visible in a newsroom that display, in real time, the number of visitors on the websites of these news organizations. They show which stories are taking off and which stories are clicked on less. In general, most journalists see the added value of using these numbers. It gives them clues about what audience members like, what they should focus on for follow-ups. It brings the audience virtually closer. Not all news organizations share this detailed information with their journalists, though, but most at least provide a summary of most read stories in a weekly or daily email. Internet and social media departments in newsrooms do use these numbers more intensively to determine when and where to post messages, what tone to use, how to formulate the best title, sometimes also to determine which article should remain the longest online or on which place on the website. Here lies a challenge for news organizations. I've spoken to many very intelligent and reasonable journalists and chiefs who all see the added value of numbers, but are, at the same time, cautious on how to use them. They understand that metrics serve as proxies, numbers that are used to say something about non-measurable things, things such as engagement or loyalty or satisfaction, very complicated concepts. 
Simple metrics such as visitors to a page, clicks, or number of minutes spent reading a certain article are easy to understand, but they can never provide a full representation of what really needs to be measured. They are a shadow of it. Sharing most read articles with journalists is therefore, in my opinion, not useful at all. If the underlying analysis and explanation is missing, the risk is that journalism turns into some kind of popularity contest and that should not be the case. It might even be detrimental for the quality of news production. In general, my interviewees understand that the highest number of likes, clicks and shares is not the only thing that's important. This is connected to the audience dilemma. People also need to be informed about not-so-popular things. And online media provide opportunities here. News organizations have a number of strategies they employ to increase the readability of these stories. They change the picture, the headline, their tone of voice, or their perspective. They push these stories sometimes, leave them at the top of their pages even though they might not be the most clicked on. This all seems like very good practice to me. It increases the societal value and quality of news. But in none of the newsrooms I've been to, these practices are anchored in the organization in some way or another. There is thus no guarantee that a change of management strategy or an automation of certain editorial processes will not jeopardize this healthy way of looking at audience metrics. That's why I would advocate that journalists are trained in the opportunities and pitfalls of metrics. They need to understand what metrics mean. Furthermore, newsrooms should be given more time to discuss the character and function of their stories and make deliberate choices about which stories they deem important, which stories need to be privileged. Instead of pushing stories that are already doing well, editorial departments should pay more attention to improving stories that do not live up to the expectations. One recommendation is to start working on identifying different types of stories. In episode 7, we use the term signature stories. But of course, every newsroom can determine what different types of stories they make, what type of target audience suits this type of stories, and how they can be reached. This implies that news organizations should make clearer choices which topics to cover and which topics to leave aside. Journalists can only spend their time once. And this also requires clearer choices about the function of news organizations in our society. These choices can partly be based on data. But more importantly, it requires news organizations to find their own identity and relationship with the audience. This is a development that I think is already set in motion in most news organizations. It will be interesting to see what it will lead to. Hopefully my observations and recommendations can help in some way. And now it's time to move on. The coming months, my research continues. I will explore the same question, but from a different perspective, the audience or news users. The research will focus on the way in which technology is used in news selection and news use, what motivates people to read, watch and listen to certain news and select certain stories? How do these elements influence the perception that they have from journalists? How do they see and experience a journalist-audience relationship? All questions that simple metrics cannot answer. To get insights in these questions, I will interview various Dutch news users of different age groups. Of course, just as I've been doing over the past months, I will keep you up to date in this podcast. If you're listening, 
and you have questions about the audience that you think are important to answer in the context of this research, questions that will help you set your own strategy in the newsroom, let me know. Send me a message, add me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to take them into account. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.